Hey, how you doing today? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. Today I want to talk about grounding, about surge protection, about lightning protection, all of it that we do not only at tower sites, believe it or not, but you got to think beyond that because the data center, the shelter, buildings, businesses, everything needs surge protection. And believe it or not, everything needs lightning protection. And if you don't believe me, I have Jim Grasty today of Alltech, A-L-L-T-E-C. He's on the line today talking about everything that they do for grounding, for surge protection, but also just basic tips on how to protect yourself. And for those of you that work in a data center, that work in enterprise and think it doesn't matter, he tells a lot of good stories about that. Anyone who doesn't know... Google lost a data center. It was actually in Belgium. We talk about it a little bit, and I have the link in my blog, Wade, W-A-D-E, the number four wireless.com, if you want to go there and read the story, the actual story that Jim is referencing, because it really screwed up cloud traffic for quite a while there. Not just in Belgium, but all around the world. The story's in there. It's pretty interesting, but Jim tells us about it because it really does affect more than just tower sites. However, tower sites like a big lightning rod in the sky, right? He also tells a couple customer, not a couple, tells a few customer stories of where lightning is a real problem of how they do the grounding and how they solve the problems and how if you just take a little time up front, you save yourself a lot of headaches in the long run and you can actually save money on your maintenance budget. One thing that he talks about is how it's not just the big surges. The big surges, yeah, they destroy everything right up front. You have your protection, they destroy everything. But it's all the small surges over time that can really affect your equipment. There's actually something in the silicone with the components that the small surges start to just cook it slowly over time to the point where you may have intermittent problems. They're in, they're out, they're in, they're out, and you're just not sure what it is. And he tells stories of that like in a data room, in a, I'm sorry, in a communications room, in a telco room where they just had problems, and when they started having problems, they just replaced the board. When you're talking about a board that costs, you know, hundreds of dollars, it'd be like replacing a router that costs several hundred dollars just because it got intermittent. That's that's what we're looking at here. So if you can do the planning up front, you'll save yourself some money in the long run. That's another thing he talks about, planning your budget, being realistic. It's pretty cool. Jim's a pretty neat guy. I think you'll like him. Definitely an engineer's engineer. Smart guy, thinks ahead. And he really is into all the surge protection, the lightning protection, the grounding, loves it. I mean, it's actually a passion to him. All right, I won't tie up anymore, but first, I want to thank my sponsors, Tower Tracker Pro. They have a software app that will help you with your closeout package needs so you get everything done right in the first visit. You know, it'll actually set everything up for you as far as the pictures and not only that, but step-by-step step so the tower crew doesn't miss a thing. And before they even leave the site, someone can check it back at the office. I also want to thank Tower Safety and Instruction, towersafety.com. They have all your tower training needs and drone training for tower work. Very interesting to find out exactly what you need as far as OSHA training, insurance, and everything like that. I also have the Wireless Deployment Handbook. It's among a couple books I've written. I also wrote something tower climbing and introduction. I've also written a couple tower site books that help you through. I also have SAL tutorial, SAL scope of work. And I want to throw uh, support to two groups that I firmly believe do a lot of good in the industry. The Hubble Foundation, Hubble, H-U-B-B-L-E, HubbleFoundation.org, and the Tower Family Foundation, TowerFamilyFoundation.org. They're looking for donations so that they can help the families of tower climbers that get that get injured or killed on the job. Yes, it does happen. 
We lost several people this year. This is 2016. We lost people in 2015. We lost people in 2014. But it's not just the people that die. That happens. It's sad. I wish we could get to a year where there's zero fatalities. There's a lot of people that are injured doing the tower work. And it's not just on towers. It's water tanks. It's building tops. People get injured in the line of duty doing the tower work, making sure that you have a reliable communication systems. It happens. Okay. Now, I want to make sure that you hear the whole interview. It's a long interview, and we did have a lot of problems. <laughs> Skype dropped in and out a couple times. But I tried to piece everything together pretty good. And Jim, just a neat guy to listen to. He's really an interesting guy. I think you'll enjoy it. So here's Jim Grasty of Alltech. Hey, everybody. Today, I have a special guest from Alltech. I have Jim Grasty, who is the engineering manager over at uh, Alltech. And he's going to explain to us what Alltech does. He's going to tell us all about grounding and grounding systems and lightning systems, because, quite frankly, that's pretty cool. And... I'm going to turn it over to you. Hey, Jim. So, Jim, tell us about yourself and tell us about your position at the company and, and you know, just tell us a little bit about the company. Well, thank you, Wade. Again, I'm Jim Grasty. I'm the manager, uh, engineering manager of systems and services at Alltech. Uh, we're an international lightning protection, surge suppression, and grounding company. I've been with uh, Alltech for going on 10 years now, and I've seen, I've seen a lot of problems, so I, I appreciate you contacting me. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's cool stuff. Well, you know, the lightning protection is always fun, especially the CAD welding, because that's something that's fun to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you probably hear that all the time. Here's what I found interesting about Alltech. I talked to Lewis, who uh, set up this whole thing, which I'm grateful for. Thank you, Lewis. And what I think is cool is you not only cover the grounding and the bonding, you cover the lightning protection and you do more than just communications. I mean, when, when I look at your website, I'm amazed by how many services you cover. I mean, data centers, energy, you know, different buildings, transportation. Now, I'm interested in telecom because most of the people listen to this are, are in the uh, wireless business in some form or another. I have a lot of engineers, climbers, tower owners, things like that. But you cover the whole spectrum. I mean, does that... Does that make sense to you, or is it too much? Is it is because it, it's a wide array? Because you know, mo- here's why I'm saying this: most people either cover grounding, or they cover, say, just basic lightning protection, or the boxes that you put in there. I mean, what do you think? Well, you know, to, just to address a, a few of those those comments, uh, it can be overwhelming the different kinds of sites and situations and applications that you find yourself in. But actually, that this is one of the best jobs I ever had because of that. It's not the same thing every single day. The concept of how you address the pain that the client feels or, or the, the anticipated problems that somebody's trying to uh, mitigate against, using the idea, if you've looked at the website, like you said, you, you probably noticed the protection pyramid, and that has to do with directly what you were commenting on. Many companies only have one product. And they only address one type of situation, either grounding or surge suppression or lightning protection. If you do that, then no matter what happens is, is no matter what the question is, no matter what the pain or anticipated problem is, they've got one solution and they hammer with it all the time. And I get the pleasure of working with people with a variety of products, a variety of services, and, and I can, I can, I can fix, I can fix it, not just put a little band-aid on one part of it, right? Yeah. So when you work on this, let's say a customer comes to you, what's the first thing you do? Do you look at the system they have? Do you consult with them? Let's say for towers. I'm going to stick with towers just to make it easy, a cell site, something of that nature. What do you look at first 
And then how do you jump to the end game? Mm-hmm. The, the, you know what I mean, the solution at the end? Well, the, the, the Bible in the telecom industry is the Motorola R56. Yeah, and so, so, you know, whenever you're speaking directly to a jurisdiction having authority, that's generally where they're going to be pointing at, do you conform to this? So that that's like the baseline then. So depending on what kind of a telecom site you have, you probably need to start off trying to figure out how to get a five-ohm ground system. On top of that, then, you also have issues of electrical transients and uh, possibly direct strike protection issues. So... I always start at the bottom of the protection pyramid at the base, and that's uh, grounding and bonding. And if you don't have good grounding and bonding to begin with, then the surge suppression and lightning protection don't work as effectively as they should. So, And most engineers understand this. They design the grounding system to electrical codes and to Motorola R56, and at least you have that hopefully as a baseline. Now, you can go into an existing problems, and it maybe it's been degraded. It's corroded. It's somehow humans have come in and broken things. That's one of the keys you mentioned, exothermic welding. Because these many of these connections are under the earth, you really need to exothermically weld these connections because they, they can rust, they can corrode, they can loosen over time if they are mechanical-type connections. Interesting. So that's why they do the weld, because that's a solid connection that, in theory, should never go back. It's not just solid. It's a molecular bond. The weld actually can carry more current than the wires that it's connecting. Interesting. And moisture and air can't get in in between the the, the weld points, and so it it will never corrode. It should never corrode. Oh, that's – that's well, it makes sense, right? It's a weld. In theory, it's there forever. As long as the wire – as long as everything's there, the weld will be there, yes. Yeah. Tell us about the old tech protection pyramid, because that's pretty cool. I was looking at that on your website. Looks pretty. I mean, it seems like it has a good foundation. Could you just go through it real quick, sure. bottom to top? The um the the basis of the pyramid, as I mentioned, is the uh the we call it tier one. It's the uh, the grounding and bonding. And so on top of that bottom tier of the pyramid, then you the next thing you lay on there, tier two, is surge suppression. And so the uh, surge suppression is intended to reduce the magnitude of high-energy, short-duration electrical anomalies. So uh, a transient is basically a sub-cycle disturbance of the AC waveform, and if it's large enough, if it's a large enough spike, it can destroy the equipment. It's very dramatic. It, it, it makes it turn black and quit working. If transients that are generated either from the utility or from other equipment that will over time degrade the silicon dye components of uh, very low voltage modern electrical you know critical equipment it doesn't yeah. take a big giant spike so what we do yeah. with the surge suppression is we clamp those spike that spikes down to electrical or to uh, acceptable levels the the energy the spike energy is directed to the earth and so therefore you need that earthing system we were talking about and then to cap off the pyramid is direct strike lightning protection so the direct strike lightning protection then forms the the capstone of the pyramid and all three of these uh, subsystems basically work together to uh, to create a very robust uh, protection system for the for the, whatever kind of facility, and that's so. When you were talking about you know, the different kinds of uh, facilities we look at, telecom being one of the major ones, it's the same idea. You just sort of look at it and imagine, well, how do how do I apply the pyramid to this uh, structure? You know, the surge protection is interesting because you brought up a good point. It's not just that 
I mean, obviously, you could have one big surge that just wipes everything out. But tell us about how the surges over time, which is just what you were talking about, how they can affect the circuitry if you don't have any protection. The, 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 you know you know what I'm talking about, the surges that don't blow everything out, but they weaken the components. Exactly. At the, the trace level of the chips and the circuit boards, there'll be tiny little differences in resistance on those paths. And so where this energy flows through and then hits one of those tiny resistive points, there'll be a little bit of heat generated. And so over time, that heat will form like a little blister. And the of course, the more the, the larger the discontinuity becomes, then the more like the, the more more heat is there because it has more resistance until finally it just tiny little thing you have to see under a microscope can blow out. And it might oh, not wow. even make the whole thing quit working. I've seen people, you know, we've been in situations where it's like a gremlin in the machine that sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and we don't know why. And But actually, that's what it is. More often than not, what you'll find is that the maintenance people have a box of cards over in the corner in the closet, and they know that once every six months or so, this red light comes on, and they pull out this card and replace it with a new one. Some of these cards are $10,000 a piece, oh. you know, but it comes out of the maintenance budget when it really should have been in the capital expense budget to make it not happen to begin with. Yeah, prevention's the best medicine, right? right? Exactly, exactly. So when you work with companies, let's say anybody, data room to tower owner, whatever, and you say, we can prevent this, but it's going to cost you more. Do you try to get them to pull up the, the budgets that they have for maintenance and try to work out a cost of what it'll save them? I mean, do you even attempt you, to do that? Or you, can, you can try it, but people are very protective of their spheres of influence and their budgets, right? Oh, good it, point. So it, it depends on who you're speaking. This place, in my opinion, for the the requirement to be would be in the original RFQ. The, the contractor, you know, the guy who's getting ready to build it, he's going to get a request for a quotation, and it should include these line items in the quote. Yeah. It, so, so, you know, the owner is the bench is eventually the one who's going to end up paying for it one one way or another. So the smartest thing would just be for it to be in the R, original RFQ and build it in to begin with. Oh, that's a great point. But a lot of people, well, you know, I I can see when you're dealing with RFQs or RFIs. Well, when you're dealing with an RFI, that's when you have to point it out so people understand that they can prevent problems in the first place. Just like you were saying, to save costs in the long run. But boy, oh boy, I see it with carriers. They'd rather just save the money up front and just deal with the problems later. This, and I'm just telling you what I've this seen. This seems to be a, a trend. Back in the early 90s when the original build-out was occurring, yep. people were taking the time to make sure they had a 5.0 ground system. Now it seems yep. like that they've got little cookie-cutter designs, and then the contractor just hopes that he's able to get a change order when he can't get five ohms with what ground to begin with. But by then, he's basically already commissioned the site, and it becomes very expensive and intrusive to, to take a system that may be sitting at 27 ohms down to five ohms. It depends on the situation. Now, that is one of the things that Alltech does we're very good at. If we have a site plan, if we have soil resistivity data, we can tell you exactly how much copper you need to put in the ground what kind of configurations would work best to reach your resistance goals, and that way you do it to begin with. So I see you have consulting. Wouldn't it make sense for these companies to have you guys consult right up front ahead of time? But I'll bet they don't. I'll bet they call you in after the fact or after a strike or after, say, three or four strikes. Can you tell – I mean, what, what's your history there? 
It varies. It could be what you the situation you described could be exactly correct. We have, I don't know, it seems like it, it's the, there's different carriers that are better than others. There are different companies that are more attentive than others. You know, I mean, you've got guys working out the back of their truck, and I don't know how they get five ohms, but they get signed off. They don't care. They drive away, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I would prefer to work with the, the higher level people and push this stuff down because it's much more yeah. difficult to push push it up once once the guy is actually on the ground he's and he's got his material list and his his idea what he wants to do that's why he's he doesn't want to spend any more time or money because that's his livelihood right yeah it's so true it's so true plus if you can plan for it up front just like you said from the top down and build it in the budget and get all the parts out there ahead of time in my opinion everyone's happy except maybe whoever's paying the bill because it's going to be a little bit more but the guy just like you said the guy in the field if he's got to do it after the fact nobody wants to see that nobody wants to hear that and quite frankly a lot of these guys they're contracted now time is money so if they have to spend an extra day at the site that doesn't go over very well no, exactly right exactly right but i'd like to say i believe that it's a false economy you know because in the end, it will cost you. You're just yeah. you're just pushing that pain out and hoping that it that it's somebody else's in the future, right? Yeah, that seems like that happens a lot, though. Let's face it. <laughs> I bet that's commonplace. Looking at your site, you guys deal with so many different so many different customers, like data centers. With a data center. And I know this from experience. Most of those guys don't even think about the surge. Well, let me put it this way. When someone builds a new data center, they don't always think about surge protection. How do you deal with those guys to convince them that for their own protection, they have to have the best surge protection possible? And I say that because in a data center, downtime is money, absolute money loss. It wasn't long ago. Didn't Google lose a site in Germany or something, and it cost it cost an incredible amount of money from a lightning strike. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd have to research it to find the parameters, but it was the time. It wasn't the replacement cost, but they have to pay people when they lose data, right? Or can't yeah. push it around. The people that I've been working with, that we've been working with, consistently do put lightning protection, grounding, and surge suppression on their facilities. I'm not sure where you okay. you worked at. You would think that the the people that are in charge of those of, of that equipment would be very aware what their problems might be. Part of it could be where are they getting their electricity from? If they're getting a direct utility feed or possibly do they have like their own on-site distribution, and so they have some redundancy, and it's also very close, so they don't have to worry as much about strikes occurring out on the line or switching, utility switching or something. Even then, though, you have to have it. If you're going to get a UL master label on a building, you have to have surge suppression, UL, UL, I'm trying to think what the, uh, so it's 467, third edition is the requirement. If you have stuff that's pre-third edition, it could it could smoke and burn. And so oh. some changes, that's one thing. So if it's over, I think, seven years, maybe 10 years old, you need to go look and, one, make sure the lights are still on. And, <laughs> two, see, see, how old, see what version it is. But you have to have it on all incoming and outgoing conductive cables. So data lines, power lines, those, you have to have surge suppression on them. And it only makes sense. It's not, it's not that big of an investment when you're building a facility, for sure. Oh, that's pretty sophisticated. If you think it's going to be on every piece of copper that comes in and out of there. What about fiber? Well, I know fiber you don't ground, but when they run it in, is that not a threat at all? No, that's so 
I would say most, most if not all of the data entering and leaving a data center would be on fiber, and you, that does not lightning won't you know transients don't travel over over glass over that. Yeah. You, but you know everything else would require it. Even on um, you know what we're seeing in the telecom industry is that the equipment is moving up the tower. It's coming out of the shelter where it was. Yeah. It was Grounded with this, you know, very, very correctly designed R56 compliant internal of the shelter grounding and bonding system. So you have your bulkhead connection, you have your bulkhead interior bus bar, exterior bus bar, RF uh, uh, suppressors on those, and you have another set of uh, wires uh, connecting, connecting the coax down to a, a bus, a, a ground bar, ground right at the tower. Well, now that stuff is out up in the sky. Yeah. And it's routed fiber for the data for the information so that's cool that's good but this equipment is also being powered and it's also now possibly could have direct lightning strike effects that that nobody ever worried about before so we are actually finding more more and more people putting say for instance our charge dissipation terminals out on the tower so that there's less likelihood of a lightning strike to the tower and and now vulnerable equipment well i think about that all the time because with the with the radio heads up on the tower they have to power the radio heads and chances are it'll be dc so now you got two lines of copper let's say for every radio head i know it's not quite like that they have distribution panels and everything up on the tower now but well you take a hit you think it would come right into the power source in the shelter at least i would i don't know how do they protect that you would need to put surge suppression depending on the distances you might put it at one end or at both ends if we have an electrical single line diagram of a facility we can and a critical load schedule would be helpful because then you at least make sure that you're you're protecting the the critical paths right that's part of what we do in the peer, in, in our reaction from the pyramid protection standpoint is we do recommendations for surge suppression and using that uh, line diagram as well. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. All tech basically covers like I said so many different industries. Did the company start in one industry and then grow, or did, were they a grounding specialist and you guys just responded to calls or RFQs or RFIs about how, what to do? How do you grow into all the – I mean, you cover a lot. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the the foundation of the company was actually uh, telecommunications, the build-out in the 90s. Uh, I think okay. the company started like uh, 91, and that – that was a tremendous amount of activity. Thousands of uh, designs, thousands of facilities that needed grounding. One of the key components that we we use was particularly for problem sites would be the electrolytic grounding systems as well as the uh, low resistivity backfill. So those are those are methods of helping to reduce the uh, resistance of your grounding system in a small. Uh, a small footprint, which a small footprint located in a, in a, a bad location, a big granite mountain, for instance. So it started with the telecommunication. I think the evolution probably it, it had already started when I came with came into the company, but since I came here, because you know, like I said, I actually enjoy different challenges. I enjoy do, uh, different applications of all our different products. I never turned anything down. So that's sort of my pro- that could be part of my problem as well. Is you know this. Is is weird. I want to look at it. Was it a curiosity factor? Like you always, like you just said, it's weird. I want to look at it. Well, so you just started going into whatever. My, my my wife says that engineers have a problem that we we don't understand what is fun because <laughs> to us, if it's interesting, it's it's de facto fun, right? And if it's not interesting, well, how can that be fun? 
And and so yeah. I can't help it. It's my nature, and it's the nature of some of the people that uh, have worked in our engineering department as well. So I'll tell you something I used to tell a salesman. I used to work with sales all the time. Years ago when I was in paging and wireless internet and all that, salesman, I, he would come up to me and i say, listen, if one of the engineers says it can't be done, that just means it's no fun to do. <laughs> because if, even if it can't be done, he's going to work on it if it's fun, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> so he's not going to tell a salesman it can't be done. But if it's boring, he's going to say that can't be so done. So the, ta- <laughs> the challenges are, are important, and they're also um, you know fulfilling from a professional standpoint as well. Well, you still have to make money. <laughs> yes. Well, that's why I would encourage people to uh, call us up, buy bus bars, buy wire, buy whatever whatever you need. But when you need engineering, we are here to help, and that's that's another fine thing about working at all tech is that we you know we can do both people can call they can just place an order they can send us a materials list and we can respond to that but they can also have the confidence that if they have a, a special situation if they have a problem that we have the engineering staff that can respond effectively to that so we can take a plan view and soil resistivity data and, and give to an experienced contractor simply a sketch and a materials list. And he, and he can take it from there. Uh, we can take it all the way to submittal level designs where maybe a county 911 center actually has to have drawings showing how the bonds are created to the fence and, you know, the, the uh, ice bridge connections are made and everything like that. But most of the contractors, they got that down pat. They don't need that level of detail. We can do that. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Okay. So my next question, it's a big one. What sets Alltech apart from the other companies, that your competition, from your competition? Well, I, th- I think the, the, the engineering capacity as well as the product range, the, those, those are, are key features. We discussed that some earlier, and all those things apply. It makes us special. Um, we're, we're located in the mountains of uh, western North Carolina. That makes us special. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know that uh, Asheville is the beer capital of the USA. So I have been to Asheville, okay. as funny as that sounds, and I remember this is – Sorry to interrupt. I remember going there. I was there two or three years ago. Wasn't that long ago? And it is a cool place. And you're right. I believe it is a beer capital. I I didn't know that at the time, but there's so many microbrews there. And what's cool about that place, like it's not just big microbrew where they have all the big equipment. You have guys making beer in buckets. (laughs) And you can drink it. You can go out and buy a beer. And they they basically, you know, I I don't know how they (laughs) – it's good beer, but it's funny because, you know, you see these buckets with the, the yeast coming out of it. You know, it's pretty cool. Well, hopefully it's regulated to some extent. <laughs> but uh, you can travel. It, it's funny. You can travel all over the world, and people and people know Asheville. And I guess it's because it's on that north-south corridor. A lot of people, you know, up and down the coast uh, tra- have traveled through and stopped. People have come to the mountains, the Smoky Mountains, since particularly before the invention of air conditioning, they they came here to cool off in the summertime, and it just became a tradition over the years. But uh, come on out and visit us sometime. Oh, Asheville's beautiful. I, I mean, it really is. I had no idea you guys were there at the time, but when I went there, I have friends that are they live about an hour from there, and what they do, just like you said, they rent a cabin way up in the mountains, which is where we all stayed. And, and your cabin's there. It's like a resort. Yes. They're huge. I couldn't get over it. They're huge, so that's where we all stayed. And then during the day, we'd come down in Dashville. <laughs> you know, you go around, you drink beer. That's what you do. But it's it's a neat little town. I really, well, it's a small city, really. I mean, it's pretty big. 
So, but I, I really enjoyed it. Anyway, well, I'm really impressed with everything you guys do. I mean, it, it really is impressive. Here's what I see when I when I look at your company. What I think sets you apart is that obviously you do because you're very knowledgeable. You know everything about it. You love grounding. You love lightning protection. You find it fascinating. I think that's really cool. Anyone technical thinks that's cool. <laughs> trust me, because you know how it is. But the other thing is, you not only sell the equipment, you can back it up. You can actually set up a design for someone to install it. You can provide the end-to-end solution for protection. Now, here, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. Feel free to jump in and correct me, but the way I see it, you cover the grounding. And when I say grounding, let's say Motorola's R56 grounding or equivalent, you know, whatever the customer asks for, because R56 is very expensive. So I know that a lot of the carriers, they don't quite go to that level. I, you know, I know that from experience. And the next thing you cover is the surge protection. And and just bear with me here. So you can cover the surges, but to a point where you can protect them, the customer, from the surges over time. You can actually predict it, and I would imagine you can greatly increase the reliability of the equipment by just doing that. And you prepare them for lightning protection, which anyone who doesn't think they need lightning protection just remember the story you told about Google. Right. <laughs> Google didn't think yep. they needed it either. And Google is a very... Uh, what would you say, public company that that when something happens to them, it's very noticeable. And it destroyed their particular data center for an extended period of time, causing them a loss in a lot of dollars, something they just couldn't recover from in a few hours. The way I look at it, you have not only the know-how, but you also have all the parts and pieces, and you can put together a plan for people. That's what I see. Yes, Makes sense. Thank you. you describe it very, very effectively and well. Yes. Oh, thank you. I just wanted to be sure because I, I think a lot of people. Here's, here's what I see in the industry, and, and I know you don't want to say this because they're competition. When you go to places, they sell you the parts, right? And you're looking at a data sheet, and you're hoping you got the right thing. Because right. <laughs> I've done that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie to you. I've done that. The other thing, you have the other guys that tell you what to do, but you just don't know if they're really qualified to tell you what to do. Whereas your company, that's your specialty. Yes. You're not going to guide us. You're not going to steer us wrong. And you stand behind what you what you consult for, what you design, and your equipment. I mean, you're end to end. Yes. Yes. We we actually have LPI certified master installer installer designers and the experience you just there's just something nothing that can can't uh, you know that we won't attempt or at least tell you it's worth the attempt or not right oh good point. sometimes you just can't get there from here the um the the copper and the ground part is it's exponential curve the the closer you get to zero ohms the more copper you've got in the ground until you have an infinity of copper and you're still not there right so some place in there is where it makes sense and that's where the experience comes in how you know how much room do you have what are you trying to do how much money do you want to spend on it here's the optimum solution Cool. Do you have any customer stories you can share? You don't have to tell me the name of the customer if you don't want to, but just some solutions that you've actually solved in your real world. Well, one that I can think of right now was a uh, company has been was doing some um, telecom tower installations in the mountains here, and um, they 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 knew they were in trouble, and so um, the, the soil was very rocky, very poor, and um, so we went up and we did we did we helped them then we we actually did some training with their installation crew so that they could hopefully promulgate this as they move forward. But in this particular site, um, the cookie cutter design uh, came in at something like 
uh, 27 ohms. So they, they, that was unacceptable in this particular case. So what do we do? So we took, we, we actually were able to model on the computer, the grounding system. We use specialized software. It creates a two layer soil model. So you have an upper layer and a lower layer. And sometimes the upper layer is substantially better than the lower and vice versa. It just depends on if it's backfill or natural alluvial dirt. Um, and we found that uh, if we went down about to 80 feet with three electrolytic rods, we would hit the sweet spot. And cool. they, they were on board with it. They, we, we went ahead and, and did, they, they did the installation, came back, did the commission testing, and you know, came in at like 4.3, 4.7, something like that. So they were tickled to death because, again, they did it right at the very beginning. They didn't have to go out, hammer in a rod, do a three-point test, you know, <laughs> disconnect everything. Oh, look, we're still not there. Hammer in another rod. You could do that all day. And then what if you just hammer in a thousand, you just put in a thousand feet of conductor, and you go, oh, crap, look at that. Now we're down to two ohms. <laughs> we, we need to do that. So they're very happy, and they continue to come back to us, um, you know, for, for uh, their equipment needs. Wow, that's pretty cool. So the last thing. I'll, I'll let you go here. I know your time is very valuable. I got a question, and then I'll ask you for your information. But you have a resources page on your website, which looks pretty cool. Can you go over a few things that that'll help people with when they're they're out there looking at, at what you have to offer and at grounding solutions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pro- probably one of the first uh, things that people can look at that would that give them be sort of fun and it would give them helpful information would be to go to the lightning risk assessment. So there's an online lightning risk assessment where you enter in um, where you are, the parameters of the building, what uh, what what it contains, the risk the risk factors basically. And what the calculator does is, is you end up with what the NFPA 780 is the source for these uh, for this formula. It lets you know if the, your your tolerable risk is higher or lower than your your predicted strike frequency. One of the salespeople came in and said, "Look at this this online risk assessment." And but it, just remember, it's in meters. Okay, that's the most important. Oh, okay. <laughs> because I'm not sure what this guy was thinking, but he put in sixty-four thousand something in one direction and twenty-three thousand in the other. And I, I told I told the salesperson, I said, "This is like a small country." He's because it, it, it came out with four hundred and eighty-five strikes per year. It's <laughs> <laughs> a riot. But if you enter in the parameters correctly, then then you get what NFPA would recommend from a lightning risk standpoint. In addition to that, there's a number of articles depending on the you know the, the, your industry that you're in. I think there's some some articles directly related to the uh, telecom industry, so those people hopefully find those. Just cruising around looking at the um, the different products and, and the descriptions of how they're used probably would inspire some people to uh, to ask further. Uh, you know, what can I do with this as it applies to me, for instance? So let me ask you something. I, I opened up your risk assessment page, and it is really cool. I see everything in there. I see exactly what you're talking about. But it looks like Florida, and I lived in Florida for a few years. I know for a fact lightning strikes there all the time. Right. Is is that a huge – I mean, I don't know how many customers you have there, but I would imagine that's a huge market for lightning protection. Florida, definitely, um, all along the Gulf Coast – you can see that it uh, that it that you have hot spots all through there. Actually, up the weather traveling up the Mississippi Ohio Valley area, those are those are all sources of thunderstorms. It it varies from the worst case in Florida to say California would be like maybe so 
it, if you look at it, it's the flash density. The, the lowest flash density would be on the west coast, somewhere between 0.5 and 1 light flash per square kilometer per year. And two of the worst case, which are a few hot spots in Florida, which, which are incredible, like 14, 16, I can't remember exactly. But these are flashes per square kilometer. So depending on how big a thing you have, that's the collection volume. That's what the first part that you enter in the risk assessment is your create your collection volume. Now, I do wow. know I worked with a company in South Africa. has a relatively low flash density in the area where he was, two, I think. But he had a big, <laughs> giant FM antenna. So guess, uh. guess where those two lightning strikes happen <laughs> to hit every single year? Right on his stuff. So <laughs> oh, that's funny. It's not just the option is up to the person. You know, how, how much do you care about your stuff? Even if the, the risk assessment comes out and says, according to NFPA, you don't need it, you know, there's no, there's no rule against exceeding the standards because it makes you feel good, makes you feel comfortable and able to sleep better at night, right? Yeah, yeah, good point. That's interesting. Jim, why don't you tell us how we can reach your company, uh, your website, which I'll put it all in the blog, but right. it sort of helps to put it here in the uh, podcast so people can listen to it. Well, the, the website is alltechglobal.com, A-L-L-T-E-C-G-L-O-B-A-L.com, and the uh, the phone number is 828-646-9290. We have a, a toll-free line, but I don't have it handy right now. Oh, that's all right. I'll look it up. I'm sure it's in your, uh, I'm sure it's on the website. I'll look it up and I'll post it. And the other thing I'm going to put a link in for is the resources page and probably the lightning risk assessment because that's cool. I think you have a cool site. So I, I didn't notice that risk assessment before. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. There, there, you can also, we have a, a number of social media outlets, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Luis is always adding in, uh, like LinkedIn stuff. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I'm sort of old school. Uh, you know, I, I I don't actually tweet, but evidently <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a lot. A lot of people are are doing that more and more now. So that's another way to well work with us and talk to us and see what we're up to. Well, have Lewis send it to me. I'll put everything in the blog. I'll make sure it's all out there. So Jim, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I see Lewis. Thank there. you, Wade. All right. Hey, is there anything you want to say? Any parting words you want to tell everybody? Well, just good luck out there and be safe. <laughs> be safe and look out for lightning. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Take care, Jim. Hey, I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. So that was it. Jim was a pretty good interview, a really neat guy to talk to. I really enjoyed talking to a guy that smart. It was very interesting. And anyone who wants more information, obviously, All Tech Global, A-L-L-T-E-C, G-L-O-B-A-L.com. And their 800 number is 800 800- 203-2658. And Jim, pretty resourceful guy. And I worked with Lewis too, who was uh, basically doing their marketing for him. And it was really fun to talk to him again. Their website's pretty cool. If you get a chance, check it out. I thought it was good. For all those of you out there that do surge protection, lightning protection, that do the grounding, I think it's a good resource for you. All right, everyone, be smart, be safe, and pay attention. See ya.